Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. All right, let's go right back. Oh, by the way, I want to say thanks to the director of Colorado Parks and Wildlife for joining us. I think he was gracious in answering the questions. He took every question we threw at him. Some of you might not have liked his answer or thought it was complete enough, but he at least he was willing to address the questions. We will get him on again. I thought he did a great job. But let's go right back to the phones. And joining us from Tightline Outdoors is Will Dykstra. Will, I haven't talked to you for a while. Hey, Terry, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you? You know, I'm doing pretty well. It's been a, you know, a busy winter with uh, ice addiction and, you know, a lot of other outdoor activities that we're doing. But, uh, you know, I'd say I'm doing pretty well. It's, uh, it feels like winter, you know, a couple of days ago, didn't really feel like winter. Now it's, you know, we're back to these, uh, frigid temperatures. So, you know, just a typical, uh, Colorado wintertime, I guess. Well, it really is, but you know what? It won't change the fishing calendar as much as people think. But before I even get to that, what I want to say to you is that I miss the times when you could come in the studio before COVID and I could go off to Hawaii or something. We got to get back to that. You know, I'm with you 100%. I really enjoy being in the studio. And, uh, yeah, I know that you probably, you know, you're probably due for a little bit of field work, I think. so. I think so. Last, last year, a couple of years ago, I was practicing my ice fishing jigging on Kauai. So, right, which is, you know, again, we, we look at different ways to get better at fishing. And, you know, what better way than, you know, practicing some ice fishing techniques with fish that have never seen something like that before. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Speaking of ice fishing, you guys had one of your ice addiction events last week. How did that go? You know, it went great, Terry. You know, we've had a, uh, it's again, considering everything with COVID this year and, and the way that our events have had to change with just how we've had to operate, you know, we've had a really successful winter so far with these events and um, we're three events down one to go. And uh, you know, last weekend, out there, we were, in, we were in Colville, Utah, and we had something happen that had never happened in, um, you know, out of the 40 events or so that we've run over the last several years. We had our first repeat winner um, from the previous event. So that was uh, that was cool, and it actually kind of um, – he actually – the other first that happened is he, he caught a carp, you know, and, and people talk all the time about how they're going to target carp in our fishing tournaments because – you know, obviously, if you catch a carp and you were talking heavy single fish wins in these bodies of water that have carp, you certainly are going to be running for that first place prize. And it's the first time we had it happen. And, you know, the, the funniest part about it is a lot of people, you know, say, well, carp shouldn't count. That's, you know, that's not a, a sport fish. But I'd argue, and Terry, over the years, I'd be interested to hear what you think of this. But over the years, you know, how many people actually catch carp, especially if they're targeting carp? through the ice, let alone, you know, catch them by accident. Well, yeah, I don't know about catching carp through the ice. Boy, I catch a lot of catfish through the ice, which would be another fish that would really could take one of your tournaments. But as far as carp, you know, carp is the number one game fish in Europe. They were brought over here as a game fish, even though they've kind of showed up everywhere. Um, Anybody who's never fished for carp and understood the way they pull your line, I mean, a lot of fishing is catch and release anyway, and I'll tell you what, a carp will give you everything you want if you don't think they're a game fish. I agree with you 100%. People don't realize just how uh, um, in tune to their senses that they are and, and how, really how, how much finesse it takes 
to catch carp, let alone when you're talking about landing one through the ice on light tackle, you know, that's a feat in itself. But, uh, yeah, kind of cool, though, to see a winner repeat from two completely different bodies of water. And, uh, you know, he ended up going, he's racked up almost $15,000 in cash and prizes for the year. Um, you know, and one was a 1.33 pound rainbow. And the other one was a carp that was just over five pounds. So, you know, kind of cool to see that. And, you know, it kind of segues into what I, the other thing I wanted to talk about um, is, and this angler kind of reminded me of it because we as anglers, you know, whether we're open water fishing or ice fishing, we have a tendency to really um, romanticize, if you will, with all the latest and greatest tac- tactics and, and, and gear. You know, we're talking about, you know, all these new fish finders, you know, with the pan optics and the live scope and stuff like that, that really, you know, dial you in fishing. But a lot of times people skip over, you know, what I would call the, the minor details or even, you know, the fundamentals of fishing. And, and again, this guy that took that, that repeated with the, the two ice addiction tournaments, he had said something to Nate during the award ceremony. And he, you know, Nate asked him, you know, what do you think about hooking a carp through the ice? And the guy said, well, I'd I was nervous as I'll get out because I had just re-spooled with two-pound tests, you know, and talking to the guy a little bit about it. You know, when you're talking about situational fishing and our, our events where there's a ton of people out on the ice and finesse is a big factor of it and capitalizing, he, he assessed the situation and paid attention to what I would consider a very minor detail when you're talking about switching from four-pound test to two-pound test. And that paid off for him. And, you know, I'd say for me personally, when I'm guiding, you know, we talk about this a lot, those minor details can be the difference between a successful day on the water and not. And, you know, for me, looking at stuff like line diameter, line, you know, light line type of angling and stuff like that is a key. And I'm not saying that other stuff isn't great when you're talking about great electronics, because obviously anything you can do to put the odds in your favor to catch more fish do it but a lot of times we as anglers have a tendency to overlook some of those fundamentals well i can on it i'll share a little story with you doug stangy and i uh stangy of course of in fishermen and i used to write for in fishermen and years ago decades ago we used to kind of get in kind of a little uh debate i won't call it an argument where doug was all about the details changing the presentation making minor things to tune it in and I was about fish location, and I said, Doug, if I find the fish, I'll, they'll bite. And I, but back right. in those years, we were just teaching the world to fish. Really, you know, I was talking to Al Linder about this not, and, and, and once, and we taught the world to fish. There's a whole different level, and now the information goes, that's out there goes so far beyond anything we did that there's a lot of great anglers out, so the fish are more pressured. And people with the new electronics and everything, they know how to find the fish, the mapping we have, the electronics we have. And, boy, i got to go back and apologize to Doug and say, you were right, making those little changes, whether it's the cadence, whether it's the color change, whether it's making a little difference in size, your line diameter, keeping your bait exactly at the right depth, those things are so critical now because fish see so much. You know, you you hit it on the head there, and it's funny. I I actually was thinking about bringing the story up with Doug's, and since you brought him up, I'll bring it up too you know, on, on a filming session that, that we did, that Tightline did, that Nate ended up doing with Doug, we were sitting there going through tackle, and Doug would literally go through three or four, you know, everybody knows that if you, that one of Doug's favorite presentations for any kind of fish is a paddle tail style swim bait. And he literally went through five or six swim baits to get the right one. 
And if it if he so much as is threaded that that swim bait on the jig head just a little bit off, it was trash. And it you know, and he really stressed like how much that mattered. And it's interesting because you know, I'll be the first one to admit it. And, and people that have been with me on the boat. You know, I'm, and my wife would probably agree with this too. I'm not the most detail oriented guy and I'll just, you know, thread stuff on to get something back in the water as quick as I can. And the reality is, is if you don't take the time to pay attention to those small details, it is the difference between, you know, you're still going to catch fish, but it's the difference between catching four fish and, you know, 40 fish. Oh yeah. Or maybe not catching any at all. I mean, it really can make a difference. I, uh, I, I, I can't tell you how many times that I've been out in the boat with Karen, my wife, and, of course, the producer of my radio and TV and everything, and she's an accomplished angler, and she has her own style, especially with finesse baits. And I'll be right. out locating fish on the electronics, and I'll be trying to get some active fish to go. And meanwhile, in the back of the boat, she sit there watching the electronics on the dash and finessing these fish, and before I know it, she's got two or three fish, and I'm still trying to get them to go. Right, right. And it's, you know, and there's, there's nuances and everybody's got their own style, but, you know, paying attention to those little tiny details like that, man, I'll tell you what, it's, it's a big difference. And, and I don't want to, you know, talk too long about this, but, you know, this summer was a great example. You know, we're catching a lot of walleyes out there at Cherry Creek, but they, these fish had seen, you know, we're mid-June, almost coming into July, and these fish had seen just about everything. And, and it took us putting jigging rods in a rod holder in order to get those fish to go, because if those fish, if you're holding the rod jigging, it was moving too much for those fish. And that small detail of just slipping the rod in the rod holder, almost like you're dead sticking like you would ice fishing. And we, you know, we'd, we'd end up catching 50, 60, 70 walleyes a day. And those fish were biting when the rods weren't even in our hands because holding the rod was too much action. So, you know, again, whether it's open water, whether it's ice, whether it's line, whether it's, you know, jig color or lure color, you know, paying attention to those smaller details and not necessarily um, letting yourself be overcome with all of this other new fancy stuff is a big key to being successful day in and day out. Well, I couldn't agree more. And you talked about the rod and the rod holder, um, ice fishing. Uh, If I have two holes, a lot of times I have one active, one passive presentation. But if I'm only fishing in one hole, I'm watching on my electronics, a lot of times, I can lure fish in, but they won't bite it while it's moving, and I can see their reaction. I've had cases very much like the rod holder where I've had to actually lay the rod down on my leg because I'm sitting to keep from moving it too much, and they'll sit there. And during ice, those nuances are so important because during open water, at least you're moving it a little more. You're covering water usually, not always. But during the ice, they get a chance to really look at it. So I think it's even more critical during the ice season. Speaking of the ice season, you guys have another event coming up. Tell me about it. Yeah, we are going to have our, the last, uh, the, the final event this year of our ice addiction tournament series presented by clam. That is going to be at grand Lake this coming weekend. And uh, we're, we're really excited. Again, our first place prize value is, a $7,500 value. We have a snow dog ice machine or a snow dog machine. I should say it's not just pigeon hold for ice fishing um, and 3000 bucks cash, as well as $1,500 to the Cabela's and Bass Pro. And uh, you know, and that's going to be a grand lake. And again, this is where I tell people pay attention to those small details because that's the difference between catching and not catching, especially in our style of event. But again, this is a run as a reminder for everybody. Our registration closes 
at uh, 8 p.m. on Thursday night. And um, re- so get registered online, and we pay 30 places deep. And, again, we're looking forward to having another great event up there at Grand Lake, a great town uh, to have an ice addiction event at, especially, you know, based on everything that's happened this, this past year. It, between you know COVID hitting that economy hard and then throwing in the the, the, the devastating wildfires, um, this town has welcomed us with open arms and and we love seeing a boost in the economics of these smaller towns that we're going to. So get registered and uh, you know it, it's going to be a lot of fun up there. And obviously you know again we just we will we'll say this. I know we're outside, but you know really pay attention, be respectful of people, and, and try try your best to do that social distancing. And uh, we'll get get through this, and hopefully things will get start getting back to normal again. But no, it's going to be a great event. We pay thirty places deep, and again, that's for a forty five dollar entry fee. Heavy single fish wins. All right, we got about a minute left. Any hot bites? People are looking to get out. I know it's cold. I still think the front range ice is going to be sketchy because even with this cold weather, we had a lot of thermal and uh, initiative or going on that it's hard to stop. And and I think that if we may get some good ice in the front range, but I'd head to the mountains. What are you seeing out there? Yeah, you know, Cherry Creek is 100% open water right now. Chatfield's at about 70% open water. Um, the ice at Chatfield, I'd say definitely use caution. Be, bring your spud, spud bar and all your safety gear. Um, there's a good walleye bite happening on that south end at Chatfield. But um, we're looking at pre-spawn rainbows up there in South Park and pre-spawn pike through the ice. You know, that is another great technique right now. Um, running tip-ups and getting those tip-ups dialed in for catching some really big pike through the ice. That That's right around the corner here. And then, of course, our lake trout in uh, up there at Williams Fork are going really strong right now. So those are three, three or four really good bites you can look on. But, yeah, I'd say, you know, heading west is going to be your best option to find the best ice for sure. All right. If people want more information, how do they find you guys? Um, you can find us on Facebook, Tightline Outdoors, or you can find us on the Internet at tightlineoutdoors.com. We've got all of our rates and all of our different fights that we do listed there. And, again, coming around the corner to, to open water fishing, we're going to have a great spring walleye bite this year and, and look forward to jumping into to doing a, you know, a great spring uh, mountain, bite, uh, mountain bite up there at Spinney and 11 miles to pike and the trout. So that's uh, kind of what we got going on. But, yeah, find us at tightlineoutdoors.com or Tightline Outdoors on Facebook. All right, my friend. Thank you. Good to talk to you again. Thank you. Will Dykstra from Tightline Outdoors. Thanks, Will. You bet, Terry. You bet. So I'll tell you what. Will's right. The open water bite is just around the corner, especially both from shore and a boat, but even from shore. For both trout, the trout on the front range, and walleyes, there's going to be an onshore bite. And we're going to talk about that and so much more yet coming up on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Jack's Outdoor Gear. Locations up and down the front range. Whatever your outdoor needs are, fishing, hunting, camping, hiking, clothing, footwear, they can take care of it all. Speaking of Jack's, let's go right to the phone. And joining us from the fishing department at the Jack's right here in Fort Collins is Dave Gross. Good morning, Dave. Hi, Terry. How are you? You know, I'm doing well, and I know it's cold and wintry out, and we were hearing... Uh, Will talk mostly about ice fishing, but people don't 
think that winter is going to last and that ice fishing is going to get really good and keep going for the next three months here in the Front Range, we're not very far away from open water. I don't care what the temperature is today. It's going to be on us pretty quickly, isn't it? Yes, it is. And with the wind we've had, the lakes up here in northern Colorado aren't aren't freezing up. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be right around the corner. Well, in fact, a lot of the boat ramps open in March and even before that, there's going to be lots of shore opportunity, and we've got both experienced anglers that are just don't ice fish, so they're just trying to get out, and we've got a lot of new anglers and a lot of new outdoor enthusiasts that maybe want to go fishing for the first time, and I thought maybe we could start talk about a little gear, a few options, and then maybe a few of the bites that are going to be showing up there pretty soon. So if I'm a new angler and I walk into the store, let's just say I don't have any gear, what What's it going to take to get me started, to get whether it's a combo or a rod and reel separately? How much money do I have to spend, and what kind of thing, what kind of options do you have? You can get a nice Mitchell Avocet spinning rod combo for $40, and it's, it's a decent little outfit. Um, and from there, you can go up to $140 on combos that are already put together, or you can go even more if you want to piece together a nice TFO or St. Croix or Fenwick rod together with a, a nice reel. So there's lots lots of options. Stuff has been coming in, so it's looking good. Um, now, that's, that $40 option, that's, you know, you can get combos as low as like $20, and they'll get you through a season. But when you start getting in that $40 range or you start piecing together maybe a uh, a nicer reel like one of the, uh, I know you've got some quantums in there that start at about 30 bucks and go up to 150. You've got some Flugers and some Abu Garcias that start lower and go up in price. But you can actually, once you start getting in that 50 to $100 range, you can put together a rod and reel that'll give you years of service if you take care of it, can't you? You sure can. And it's just, they're just, uh, I'm one of my favorites. I know you're low on them right now as the Fluger president, but tell me about the Quantum. What price did you say you have of the price points on the Quantums? Um, there's an inexpensive Quantum called the Optics. It's $20, and then you get up into the strategies, and they're $27, and then you get, uh, there's some in between called the Drive, but then you get up to the Accurist, which is a really nice reel for $80, and you can go all the way up to the smoke that we carry. That's uh, $140. Smoke and I think really nice reel. Well, a lot of people don't, obviously, they want to say, well, how much am I going to fish? So my suggestion to them, though, is maybe spend a little more, get the middle-of-the-road combo, but get something because it'll make fishing more enjoyable. And spend a little money. Come in. You guys will go through the different options with them, let them feel them, touch them. But the one thing I think that becomes the bugaboo for a lot of people, and that's line. Whether whether you're putting, whether you've got existing equipment or whether you're buying new equipment, you really need to get the right line on it. Or if you've got existing equipment, you really have to change that line, unless you, maybe you're using super lines. So if I come in, I've got some rods and reels. I want to take the family out fishing. Not an experienced angler. What way? You know that we've got monofilament. We've got braided line we've got fluorocarbon where do you kind of direct that maybe average to beginning weekend type angler 
usually I'll recommend that they put on a Trilene XL. Um, we can spin it on for them. If they don't want to have extra, we've got bulk spools that are two to three cents a yard. So depending on how big the reel is, it's only $1.50 to $3 to get line put on there. Well, and I, I agree with you that monofilament is probably the best starting place. Now, as you get more advanced, you may get into the braided lines and start using fluorocarbon. But then you got to mess with a whole bunch of different knots and understanding. But what you said about spinning the line on the reel, I think a lot of beginning anglers don't understand. They buy a spool of line. They don't get it on very well. That really can cause problems, doesn't it? It can, and it just uh, compounds on itself uh when it reels back in loose or they get little wind nuts in there and little loops and it just gets worse and worse and they get frustrated and don't know what to do. You're absolutely right. You know, like at two cents a yard to fill a, a reel, you're talking, like you said, less than a couple dollars and it gets wound on there tight. What's your most popular six or eight pound test in that range? Uh, Charlie and XL. I mean the pound test though. Oh, yeah, yeah. Six pound would be number one. Eight pound would be number two. And then it's kind of a tie up between four and ten pound. You know, if you get um, if you get a, a medium, nice medium action spinning reel with six or eight pound test in it, you can do about 80 percent of the fishing that's available in Colorado with that rig. And it can last you a long time. We talked about knots. Do you... Um, do you recommend any knots? Do you help people learn? If people come in, can you show them a couple knots? What knots do you typically recommend? Yeah, we can we can help them with knots. If you're just using monofilament, your regular improved cinch knot, fisherman's knot, works great. And then if you start getting into fluorocarbons and braided lines, then you're going to have to learn some new knots like polymer knots, double polymer knots, uni knots, double uni knots. And 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 people shouldn't be intimidated. It's not like you have to know 10 different knots. I think I use like three knots for 95% of my fishing. Is that what you think happens with you? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's so I got in, I got my gear and um I'm ready to go fishing. It's a couple weeks from now, the water, the ice starts going away from shore. We're actually going to, that's when actually we got some pretty good fishing, both trout and walleyes, and I know you do both of those. So uh, any places, any recommendations? What kind of bites do you see coming up really quickly? Walleye bites going to start the end of this month, depending on the weather. And just like Will was talking about, the trout are going to start cruising the shorelines, looking for somewhere to spawn. You know, the fish in the lakes, they don't may not have anywhere to spawn so they're just going to be swimming around the shoreline looking looking for an outlet inlet and so they're there they're available to catch if you don't have a boat and then the walleye are going to start coming out pre-spawn and feeding and getting ready for the spawn so they'll be available to the shore fishermen so yeah there's going to be some good bites coming up so if i want to get into this early spring walleye bite which is can be the more difficult of the two. What kind of lures, if I come in, you've got me set up with a rod and reel, now what kind of lures are you going to suggest for going after those walleyes? I like fishing jerk baits. Um, Rapala, X-Raps, Husky Jerks, 
I like the Smith Week Rattling Rogues, and there's a variety of other ones that I like. And if that's not working, then I'll go to a plastic paddle tail or gulp minnow. Um, but usually I try to make the jerk baits work. You just got to remember to fish them pretty slow. A lot of people still fish them too fast. Well, and the other thing with that walleye bite is that those jerk baits typically are good morning and night or through the night or morning and evening in the dusk hours when those walleyes start staging to spawn. So during the day, it's probably not as effective, but during the night, but one thing you got to tell people is if you're going to fish those walleyes during the night, um, you might get two bites one day, no bites another, 10 bites another, <clears throat> but you really at this time have a chance for some of the biggest fish of your lifetime, don't you? You do. You do. Um, that's when the big ones come out. Um, they're getting ready to spawn, so we just got to take care of them and let them go and try not to keep them out of the water too long so they can do their thing and make more babies. You got uh, any particular bodies of water that you recommend? I know you don't want to give up all your spots. <laughs> well, up here, <laughs> Horsetooth is going to be good. Boyd Lake can be good. Lawn Hagler can be good. Um, and then there's always those surprise fish and other bodies of water where you don't even know there's a bunch of walleye in there. No, you're right. The other fish I want to talk about real quick, just take a minute or two, and that's the trout. A lot of lakes are heavily stocked for ice fishing in the fall and because the trout winter well. And so, and a lot of them get stocked again in the spring. And as this ice goes out, that may be your most consistent fish that's available day long because those fish start getting towards the shore. What do you recommend for the people who maybe want to target those trout from shore as the ice starts receding? I personally like to throw swimming jigs for them. Um, dynamic lures, trout attack, um, gulp minnows, different paddle tails. Because I'm always moving, trying to find them. So you usually won't see me dunking bait and waiting for them to come to me. I'm trying to find where they're at and fish to them. Now, most of these, everything we've talked about available in most of the Jack stores? Yeah, everything. I mean, there's still holes. Um, there's still stuff we're waiting on to come in, and some stuff we may never see. We just uh, got an email yesterday about waders. Reddington had a problem with their ladies' line of waders, and they won't have any this year. Um, so there's going to be more of that, I'm sure, just because of what happened last year and what's still going on. Um, but things, All right, are, well. things are looking a lot better than... I thought they might be looking. No, well, that's good. So all the Jack stores. Dave, we are out of time. Thank you so much for joining us, and uh, hopefully people will get in. I would say get in and start getting your gear together now in case there are shortages, and be ready because even though it's cold, we're only a couple weeks away from some of these open water bites. Dave, thank you so much for joining us. All right, thank you. Good fishing. You bet. That's Dave Gross from Jack. We're going to take a timeout when we come back. Chad Lachance is going to teach us how to cook those trout. You know, the trout are going to be so available now. You're going to be able to get some, take them home, and you can make those stock trout taste delicious, and Chad's going to tell us how. And Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Let's go right to the phones. And joining us, as he does every couple weeks at this time, is Chad Lachance. Good morning, Chad. 
Yeah, good morning, Terry. Cold outside this morning. It's just like winter out. You'd think it was February or something. I know. It's a good thing they make roads to go all the way from here to Florida because I'm going fishing here pretty quick. But uh, <laughs> I've been listening <laughs> to your to your show here in the last little bit, and we were talking about trout. I, it seems like that was a timely thing because, you know, the trout are, as you pointed out in the last segment, they're the, probably the easiest fish these days going forward all the way through about the end of March or so, probably the easiest fish in the state to come by. Uh, you know, whether it be up in the mountains through the ice or in some of the water that's opening up down here. But they have a reputation for not being the tastiest fish in the world because, as you pointed out, they stock them right before ice in. And those fish are fed on, on pure, what amounts to trout chow. It's, it's basically dog food for fish. And they don't have a great flavor. They're not the, the firmest meat in the world. But once they've been in the lake for a little bit, they'll, they'll transition over to natural food sources. They'll get a little bit better as they go. But either way, even if you're talking about, you know, uh, mice-fed trout up in the mountains or, or, you know, trout chow-fed ones down here, they can be made pretty tasty. And one of the easiest ways, in my opinion, is to leave them very close to hole, maybe take the head off, uh, remove the guts, of course, starting at the vent and splitting them lengthwise, remove the bloodline that runs right along the, the uh, spinal cord right there and give them a thorough rinse, and then I like to put them in a packet, a foil packet, and cook them with a mix of, of some things that will allow me to take the flavor any direction I want. And the reason being, fish, like any other animal, in my opinion, are best cooked with the bones in them in terms of both nutrients and flavor. And for two, all the fat that's in that any salmon, any trout or salmon has a high fat content, and that fat will render well into the fish, keep them from drying out. And if it's cooked right, it'll flake right off the bones. You won't have to deal with the bones uh, nearly as much as you do with some other methods. You don't have to worry about filleting them or anything like that. But I tend to like to put them in foil with, um, a, with a little bit of butter in there for sure. Fish and butter go together very good. So I'll, I'll clean them out really good, rinse them, pat them dry, put a little bit of salt and pepper all inside the cavity and on the skin. And I'll also give the skin a slight score about, oh, every two inches down the down the side of the fish. It's just cut through the skin, not all the way through the meat, but through the fish, maybe a little bit wider than your fork. And there's reason to that, because when you go to take that trout apart after it's done, you can fold the skin back very carefully and then just flake the meat off. And those fork-wide pieces will come off very easily without you having to work on one big, giant piece of fish. Plus, it'll allow your flavoring, your salt, and your pepper, and your butter, and everything to get in the fish a little bit easier. So, for me, you take the whole fish, you score them lightly, you season them with salt and pepper, uh, you put a little bit of butter in there. Um, for sure, that's important. And then some sort of acidity is very important as well. And so, you know, everyone wants a specific recipe. Well, I'm not going to say you need a teaspoon of lime juice, but a little bit of lime juice or a little bit of white wine or... Uh, you know, eating with some with some distinct acidity to it will help with that fish. It will cut through some of the fattiness of the fish, and it really makes the flavors pop. So my base flavor is literally just acidity, butter, salt, pepper, and and the fish. But having said that, you can if you're home, unless you're making this at home, you're not you know camping or making it in your ice hut, and you have all your ingredients available to you. Well, then the possibility of putting all sorts of things inside the cavity of that fish comes available one of my favorites is orzo pre-cooked orzo you can do it with rice uh you can do it with uh, a variety of, of uh, squashes or zucchinis things like that uh, a little bit of bell pepper can go in there some onion can go in there um, you can also just stuff a, a, 
a live thing of herbs, you know, a big chunk of, of rosemary or basil in there and then take it out prior to eating. But at the end of the day, it's the fat and the acid and the salt and pepper that's the base recipe. And then from there, you can decide how much stuff you want to add to it to make it a full meal or if it's just your protein, on it, you're going to make other sides. You know, the stock trout that get stocked up and down the front range are really kind of the panfish of Colorado, too. And there are a lot of people's introduction to fishing and or even people that just get out once in a while want to catch some fish. And we've always preached selective harvest. Well, here's your chance because these fish are put in there to take home. And you really should take some of these home and eat them, shouldn't you? Absolutely, because they're not going to reproduce, and that's the big misnomer. Even in places like up in the Delaney's where, you know, it's a brood lake and whatever. Well, when you talk to the Parks and Wildlife, the fish have almost zero natural recruitment in there. They still have to be artificially handled because they don't have the, the type of running water in the gravel substrate that they need to reproduce successfully. So if they put a 1,000 trout in Chatfield, those 1,000 trout are either going to go home and get eaten or they're going to die of old age or get eaten by other fish, but there's no chance that they're going to reproduce in there and make more trout. So, uh, yeah, the hatchery system is just for that. They are very good for you as well. And like you said, they're not exactly rare. So keeping a few of them, I mean, we're not talking about keeping cutties out of Lake Agnes. You know, we're talking about keeping stalkers out of Front Range Lakes. And uh, they're actually delicious. And the key when you do that with that foil packet is to seal it up really good so it holds moisture in there. And then you don't have to cook it as long as you think. You could cook it anywhere from 300 to 500 degrees. It's not really critical as long as it doesn't run out of liquid in that package. And just as soon as it'll barely flake. So when it's been cooking, let's say I'm cooking at like 350 degrees, I may check that foil packet, crack it slightly open, poke the fish with a fork and see if it's starting to flake apart. As soon as I can get it to flake, I want to go ahead and pull it and, uh, you know, and, and eat it because we don't want to dry it out. And the worst thing you can do is overcook fish. So I, I'll check it every so often. Obviously, cook time is going to depend on the size of your trout. But I've done this on the smoker with trout that were three or four pounds and caught in the middle of summer in warm water and stuffed them with orzo and, and spinach and lemon and white wine and butter, and, and they're just absolutely delicious. In fact, there's videos on my YouTube channel of that if people want to see it. But um, the, the key is that they, they don't let the fish dry out, and the foil packet does a good job of preserving that. You're right. You're absolutely right because it gives you some forgiveness by doing that, and overcooking is the worst thing you can do with fish. But the trout do have a lot of oil. They are tasty. And you can do the method you're talking about in an oven or on a grill outside. You can throw that foil pack on your grill or your campfire. That makes it great. What about the guy who says, though, I don't like messing with the bones when I eat. I'd like to just fillet them. Can I get some fillets out of these trout? And how should I cook those? Well, you can for sure. And and there's a video on my YouTube, on Fishful Thinker YouTube, that Trace Tomke helped us with. He fillets lots and lots of trout every year, and he did a, a how-to video for filleting them for us. But um, they, my favorite way to do a filleted trout is literally in cast iron. It's an old French method, which is basically to dust it with flour. And I don't mean bread it. I'm talking about dusting the whole thing with flour, salt and pepper, cook it skin side down in cast iron skillet for a few minutes till it starts to cook. You can tell it's starting to cook through around the edges, flip it over. I mean, you're talking about a grand total of about maybe five minutes of cook time. Take it off the heat, put some butter, caper, and lemon juice in that pan, and then pour that over the trout. It's a very classic French old recipe, and it is delicious with any kind of stalker trout. Well, I'll give you a hint, too. One of the reasons you put those 
the butter in after is the butter could break or, or burn and you don't want that to happen. And you just want that butter and wine to be almost like a sauce that just comes together after you finish cooking. And it can be, can be delicious, Chad. I'll give a quick yes. wine recommendation. I'll, I'll give a quick wine recommendation here too. And if you're going to cook with a little wine in the fish, Add a wine you like to drink. Don't buy what people call cooking wine because there is no such thing as cooking wine. It's either wine that's good enough, it tastes good enough, or there isn't. It doesn't have to be expensive. Barefoot Pinot Grigio makes a white wine that's very inexpensive, and it's tremendous with this kind of fish. You were going to say something else. I'm sorry. Well, I was going to say that sauce you're talking about is basically a beer blanc. If somebody wants to look that up and, uh, you know, they can put a little tarragon or whatever you want dressed up. But, yeah, that, that – that wine and butter, you talked about the butter burning. When I take the fish out of that cast iron skillet, I dump that oil or fat that was cooked in the fish and then start with fresh butter, just like you're saying. And very important. And real quick, you mentioned the tailgate thing. Here's a trick I learned way back in high school. Take some of those little butter packets that they have at, like, KFC. Put a few of those in your backpack and some salt and pepper packets and a chunk of foil. And lo and behold, you can make a brookie really easy on the campfire by having one of those little squirts of fake butter, some salt and pepper, and a foil packet. And a 10-inch brook trout never tasted so good. Oh, yeah. Everything tastes better along the shore, doesn't it? It's just so <laughs> so, incre- so incredible. And you go up to some of these lakes where they'll let you keep 10 brook trout. You don't need 10, but there's no problem keeping four or five. And they're just so delicious and you know, we hear so much about catch and release. And in certain times, certain species, certain size, you and I are all about that. But eating fish is also part of the experience. You just need to understand the fishery you're fishing in, what impact you're going to have. And if, if, if it's a fishery that's meant for some harvest, you by all means should partake in that. It's part of the experience, Chad. Chad, any Absolutely. last minute? Uh, yeah. Um, when people, how long... When you catch a fish, do you keep it before you cook it? I like to, I mean, in a perfect world, Terry, I'll kill it and fillet it right then. And, uh, and and so for me, it's very, very rare that I will freeze fish. If, I, if I'm not going to be able to eat it fresh, I typically let them go. The, the freshest fish is by far the best fish, by a large margin. Once it's been frozen, yeah, it's still edible and it's still good. But if you really want to make something tasty, eat them as fresh as you can. That's that's my answer always. If I am going to freeze the fish, I either like to vacuum them or freeze them in as big of pieces as possible so that I have as least exposure to air. And if you do catch them and you're going to eat them friend, fresh a day or two, don't keep them longer than that. No, sir, definitely not. In the fridge, uh, in fact, you're better to go ahead and freeze them if it's going to be more than that. Um uh, preferably 24, 48 hours at the most. And if I am going to do that, I might consider a light brine as well for part of that time. Uh, be careful. You can overbrine fish very easily, but, uh, but a 5% salt brine solution will make uh, a little bit better storage if it's going to be an extra day. Hey, great, great, great tips. You know, pretty soon we're going to be out on the water catching these fish, and I think you got a lot of people's mouth watering. Chad, thanks for joining us today. All right. Thank you, Terry. I appreciate it. You guys stay warm. All right, Chad Lachance. I love his cooking tips. You know, he's not an ice fisherman, so he sits home and cooks a lot. He's wild game and fish. And if you like these segments, drop me a message because I think they're just fantastic. We're going to take a time out. When I come back, we will wrap things up on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan.
Kyle, tell Dan Jacobs to listen to this song. He'll realize how much better it is than most Beatles music. I don't know. I'll get to you in a minute, Dan. <laughs> hey, we're going to wrap things up before I talk to our friend Dan Jacobs. Um, I understand he might have a fishing question, but we had the director of Colorado Parks and Wildlife on today. Did an extensive segment with him answering questions that you folks sent in. I will post that on our Facebook page, that the podcast. Uh, please follow us on Facebook and on YouTube. Our YouTube channel is The Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom. A lot of the fishing we cover here is on that YouTube channel. But our Facebook page is the center of information for this show. And it's where we'll let you know what's coming up. We'll podcast things we've had on. We'll share information. We'll share reports. And we're going to start trivia again, I think, pretty soon. So you want to be following us on Facebook because the answers to the trivia question mysteriously seem to show up on our Facebook page, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, long before they end up as a question on the uh, show. Front range ice. Be extremely careful if you're going to ice fish on the front range. We have what going on, what we call energy inertia or momentum, where a lot of the warmer weather before is put energy into the ground, and we have uh, the sun at a higher apex with a lot of uh, UV rays coming. So even though we get these extremely cold temperatures, they don't always produce ice or make new ice or even firm up ice that is there. So if you're going to go anywhere on the lower elevations, please be extremely careful. I think that is almost over. We're going to be looking at open water, and we'll be covering that. That being said, there is a lot of great ice fishing going up in the mountains. The lake trout are on fire at Granby, Blue Mesa, Taylor, Williams Fork, and big fish. I'm talking fish. You can catch numbers of 16 to 20-inch fish, but you might get a 30-pounder. That's totally within the realm of possibility. And the pike bite will start pretty soon on those mountain lakes through the ice. So there's a lot of opportunity, and we'll, we'll, we will be getting to open water very soon. Now, Mr. Jacobs... That somebody told me you might have a fishing question. Yes, although, by the way, I did enjoy the uh, the questions about wolves that your guest, uh, Dan, uh, you know, obviously big-time director there, uh, addressed about wolves. I, you know, obviously I called you when I was filling out my ballot on that issue, so I've been curious as to how they would implement that. I didn't know that deer were just a little snack to the wolves, <laughs> and they didn't care about deer that much. That was interesting to find out, so that was good stuff. No, he really did a great interview, and I'm going to post that on our Facebook at Terry Wickstrom Outdoors so people can listen to it in its entirety. Yeah, that was good stuff. Yeah, so I was out in Tampa last week, and then I played a little golf in a a place called Sun City, and I have a client, a real estate client, that I helped get a house out there, and so we went a little further south uh, in an area called Bradenton, and the house we helped him get, um, he lives on a lake. Uh, a pond, and I'm not sure if there's drainage in there or not, and I said, but he has a beautiful view right in his backyard of this pond, and I said, do you do any fishing out there? And he says, well, Dan, I'm not much of a fisherman, but he says, they they say you can, and I said, well, do you stock, did you stock it? Did you, did you throw some fish in there or something? And he said, well, I don't, of course, because I'm not a fisherman. He said, and I said, well, did they stock it? Did the builder stock it or anything? And he said, no, but he said it happens naturally like the birds stock it or something. So how does that happen? Do, like, birds just accidentally drop fish in there, or do they get in there through drainage pipes? Or, I mean, would a pond have drainage pipes? Well, if the pond isn't going stagnant and it doesn't have an aerator, it probably has some kind of a flow through it. And 
depending on where that flow comes from, almost any number of fish that are connected to that water could get into that pond. Um, and then you get a lot of what's called um, bucket biologists that want to fish for certain fish, and they live close to a pond. So they'll catch a bunch of fish and throw some in there, hoping they'll reproduce. Those are the main ways that most fish get in. They're either intentionally stocked, they're coming in through some kind of a water flow, or somebody's illegally stocking them to try to build a fishery for their own use. Now, fish can end up in water. They've had fish eggs that have hatched in rain barrels, okay, where a bird has dropped something, maybe some weeds or something on it that had... Oh, and, weeds. Uh, okay. I, yeah, a, I didn't think about that. A fertilized that. fish egg attached to it or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it, it, it's, it's not that common, but it has happened. And you can get fish. Fish will spread uh, through different ways like this. And a lot of times, though, it's just some flooding. There's something nearby that has fish in it. They get some flooding rains. You get flows, and those flows take out. So fish do end up in a lot of these places. And a lot of builders put in grass carp just to keep the pond looking nice, whether they tell you that or not. Well, carp is not good, right? That's not good eating, right? But they're fun to catch. They'll pull your string, I'll tell you what. Hmm. You catch a 20, 30-pound carp and hang on when you got your little spinning rod with six-pound test. And then and then somebody else catches it, and then you got to take a picture with it, right, Terry? No, no I... Uh, I don't need to get pictures taken. There's plenty of video available of me catching fish. By the way, it's on our YouTube channel, Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom. I have to let you go so you can start your show, but my main football question for you, and I asked this to Kyle off the air in the beginning of the show, if possible, is Drew Locke going to be gone, or is he going to end up being the option they have to keep? No, I think they're going to find somebody to compete with Drew Locke. Although, with each passing week, man, how is Drew Locke's psyche, Terry? Like, everyone just keeps beating this kid down, man. He's got to be like, hey, man, what about me, Drew Locke? Hey, remember me? That type of thing. But we'll address it coming up next. Well, I tell you what, if your psyche can't handle the pressure, you're never going to be an NFL quarterback. That's true. All right, my friend, we will let hey, people quick, get Hey, real quick, Terry, I sent a meme yeah. to my buddy in Minnesota, my brother-in-law. It says, the only way to stop Tom Brady from winning Super Bowls, and it was a picture of Tom Brady in a Vikings outfit. <laughs> That's pretty good. All right, my friend. I'll close up so people can listen to your insightful comments on sports. All right, thanks, sir. You're the- we're going to wrap up Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. We're actually into Dan's time already, which he accuses me of taking all the time. Follow us every Saturday from 9 to 11. we got open water coming up real soon, folks, sooner than you think, even though it's cold. A lot going on, turkey season. We'll cover it all. And follow us on Facebook at Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook. Go to our YouTube channel, The Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom. Thank you to Kyle for keeping this thing on the tracks and for Karen for keeping me online here at our studio in Fort Collins. And, uh, we will talk to you all next week. We'll let the Eagles take us to Dan Jacobs and Sports on 104.3 The Fan. Hello.